Hello, everybody. My name is Dustin Pischel, and today's guest is Rob Bartlett. Rob is a stand-up comedian, actor, and writer. Rob is a regular performer and writer on one of the most popular radio shows in the world, I Miss in the Morning. Rob won two Emmy Awards for his television special, Not For Profit Special. Rob has performed stand-up comedy on Late Night with David Letterman, MTV Half Hour Comedy Hour, stand-up spotlight on vh1 and conan o'brien please welcome the amazing rob bartlett yeah thank you mr official yeah so um yeah that's crazy how you won two emmys um yeah it is kind of crazy i mean uh it was uh it was on public television it was a uh because it was connecticut public tv uh they wanted me to do an hour of something and so I came up with the idea of uh, doing a parody of those fundraising things that they do you know they have a whole bunch of people on the phone taking phone calls and then they show you clips from stuff and so what I did was I did basically a satire of some of the programming that was on public television at the time um, Bob Ross was one of them you know the painter um, Jacques Cousteau was another and so what I did was I did these little sketches you know, parodying Jacques Cousteau and, and Bob Ross and and some of the other shows that they had on on the on the on the program, uh, you know, on, on the network, and uh, I just kind of intertwined them all. Um, and then there was a, ostensibly a variety show that I was hosting, kind of like a Letterman thing. Um, and they all kind of like went into each other, like the the um, we had a green screen for the uh, Jacques Cousteau sketch, and in the Jacques Cousteau. I was Jacques' sidekick, and, and we were sitting in a raft, and of course we had crew members making us, you know, go back and forth, and we had a green screen behind us of a seascape, and then so as the, the Jacques Cousteau was over, they zoomed in past us onto the green screen of the seascape, and then when they pulled back, that was the Bob Ross painting that Bob was going to do, so they all kind of interconnected. Yeah. And so uh, that's one of the reasons why we got uh, a, a writing Emmy, and the other Emmy was for Best Entertainment Program. I did not, however, win the Best Actor, mm-hmm. even though I played 20 different parts in, in that wow. series. And I'm very, yeah, I still hold a grudge to this day. Because, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, as a stand-up comic, we, we tend to focus on, you know, on the bitterness and, and what we didn't get instead of what we did get. So, yeah. um, like, I'm considered one of the top 10 worst announcements uh, announcers in, in uh, oh you're breaking up history oh yeah for um, wwf was it i yeah I, I was one of the original hosts of monday night raw when monday night raw first came on macho man randy savage vince mcmahon and myself were the three hosts and i have been voted one of the top 10 worst wrestling mm-hmm. announcers of all time However, I'm not number one, and so I'm not happy until I can actually get to number one. So the only way that'll happen is I guess whoever's number one dies, and I can kind of go up and, and, and achieve the spot I was born to achieve. <laughs> yeah, um, the thing is, like, I mean, it's sort of like you were a comedian that was put into Monday Night Raw, like, because you, you weren't really that familiar with wrestling, so, like, that was a mistake on their end. Like, I'm not... So, yeah... Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a mistake on their end, but, you know, to, to Vince McMahon's credit, he was trying to do something different. 
Yeah. He was trying to, you know, and it was a live show, and he thought, you know, having a guy who was on the radio in the morning would be up on, you know, stuff that it was happening, current events and whatnot, and would be able to interject. And as it turned out, you can't really make fun of stuff that's already so over the top, you know? I mean, they're, they're almost a parody of themselves, <laughs> You know, even though it's very, very real what they're doing, I mean, these guys are in unbelievable shape. The athleticism that they have to have in order to make it look like what they're doing is is really hurting each other and takes almost twice the amount of effort. Yeah. It's like when you're um, when you study pantomime, it almost takes twice as much energy and mus- muscles to uh, to pretend you're pulling a, a rope than yeah. actually pulling the rope because you have to do the pulling and then you have to show with your body the resistance to the rope and so yeah. um but but it was just one of those things where you know you almost can't make fun of something that's kind of making fun of itself already yeah you know? it's sort of like making fun of kanye west <laughs> <laughs> like um sometimes like he's like the only like kardashian i really care about because he just says some stupid stuff now and then like he just like says something like just so like out of the world, like when he ran for president, I wanted to, him to win because I want Kim Kardashian to be the first lady. That would have been, been impressive. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how much respect the United States would have gained in the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised like that nobody voted him because like Kim Kardashian was his wife. I, I don't know. I thought he, that would be more like oh. Well, you know, some people voted for it. I voted yeah. for it. So, I mean, you know, some people did vote for it. We just didn't get enough. Yeah. So, um, what's the worst heckler you... Have, I start off every episode by asking the comedian, what's the worst heckler you have ever had? The worst heckler? Um, it's a toss-up. There's actually two that I think were about the same in terms of being the worst. Um, very early on in my career, I got a gig to open for a band... Um, when you're first starting out, the opening act gigs, you know, it's a couple of bucks and it's a little bit of exposure. Um, you're almost never the right type for whatever the band is, you know. Um, I was opening for uh, Buddy Rich, the uh, the drummer, okay. very very famous drummer, jazz drummer, and he was at a place called the Bottom Line, which is a great great venue, just one of the greatest stages. Um, sound systems uh, it was a legendary club down in the village and everybody who's anybody played there and uh, so Buddy Rich was there and I was the opening act and you know he's got a full crowd and he's got you know it's sold out people are sitting at long tables because you know they also serve drinks and, and food and I get introduced and I go out and I start my show and this guy sitting right up front goes alright Rob that's enough bring Buddy out <laughs> And so I'm, you know, I'm trying to continue my match. Is Rob, you're not getting it. Get off. We want to see Buddy. So keep going on. But, but Rob, Rob, and I just, I can't get on with my hand. But at that point, Buddy Rich enters the club from the back, the front door. And he walks in and someone notices. And of course, everybody applauds, you know, because Buddy Rich has entered, you know. He's here, Rob. He can get off now. <laughs> Buddy goes. Walks his way backstage, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And uh, as he's going to the dressing room, the guy who's heckling me goes, "God bless you, buddy. May God make you live forever." <laughs> and I said, "Well, while, while you're there, God, kill this guy now." <laughs> Very funny, Rob. Ha 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 ha. And I'll be 
texting me, and so they, somebody came up and spoke to the guy. You know, they usually give him one or two chances. And, uh, you know, he has words, has words. It gets a little more ugly, and they wound up throwing him out. So we never got to see Buddy Rich. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my revenge on that guy. Yeah. And then the second time that I would say, I don't know if you would consider him a hecker or not, because it didn't get far enough for him to actually become a hecker. I was opening for a band at a place called My Father's Place, which is kind of like a, a Long Island version of the bottom line. This one was a converted bowling alley, but a great stage and a great sound system. It was a band called the Fabulous Poodles, and they were a punk rock band that was being touted as the New Beatles. And so I'm backstage, they're from England, I'm backstage, and the manager's kind of pacing back and forth. Oh, are you? I said, I'm the comedian, you know, I'm the, I'm the comic who's opening for the band. He goes, oh, right, yeah. And he walks away. I'm showtime. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, my father's place is proud to present uh, the Fabulous Poodle. <laughs> well, but first, you know, it's a punk rock crowd, you know, so there's people with, you know, safety pins through their nose, and everyone's got the shaved head, or the big yeah. covered mohawk, and they got tattoos everywhere, and piercings everywhere, you know, and not exactly a mom and pop kind of audience. Yeah. So, and now please welcome the comedy silence of Rob Burnett. <laughs> and I walk through the curtain and I step out and I go to the microphone. I grab the microphone stand and a beer bottle whizzes past my head and misses my ear by about a half an inch. And I went, thanks a lot, guys. You've been great. I turned around and walked right off stage. <laughs> and the manager's there. He says, so uh, that's longer than anyone else has been on before then. <laughs> Yeah. I actually held the record of being on stage the longest in front of this band, even though, you know, I said, hey, how you doing? Turned around and came right back off. So, yeah. Those were the two worst. There are just some venues, like, in, like, locations and sort of, like, um, like, they're not really, like, in cities. Like, they're just in the middle of nowhere. So, nobody, like, doesn't have experience going to clubs or anything. So, like, they don't know how to act. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. I mean, when the, the comedy boom of the '80s, which is how I when I started, late late '70s, early '80s, um, all of a sudden, all these comedy clubs were cropping up in all these places that you know barely had movie theaters. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was lucky enough that uh, you know that these places were opening, but mm-hmm. you almost had to spend half the time on stage educating the audience on how to act. You know how to how to you know be in a be in a show and, and, and not talk back, yeah. you know, to the performer. And then what I would always say is like, let me ask you something. When you go to the movies, do you talk back to the screen? You know, yeah. just, I mean, you're, you're teaching them. And eventually, you know, they would learn. And then, you know, it made it a little easier. You know, a lot of times, some of these comedy uh, club gigs were one-nighters. Yeah. At restaurants, you know, like the Ground Round or a place like that. And those were sometimes a little tougher too because... It wasn't really designed to be a comedy club. There'd be bad sight lines, or the sound system wasn't great. People would be eating, you know, like these meals and still talking like they would at a restaurant when they're eating a meal. So, you know, you know, I mean, you you know when it's a good room or a bad room. You just feel it, you know, you know when you get up what what it's going to be like. Yeah, um, some, like, good rooms is, I really like, I think it's, yeah, the comedy cellar, um, that's oh, yeah. a great place. Um, just like comedy that. Comedy Cellar is like one of the old school comedy clubs from way back. Comedy Cellar reminds me an awful lot of the Improv and Catch Rising Star and the Comic Strip. Of course, the Comic Strip is the only one that still exists, and it's because they all, you 
same kind of feel. I mean, the improv and the comic strip have the brick wall behind them like they do at the Comedy Cellar. And Catch had like a little bit of a set. It was like a bookcase. I think there was some brick there too and a piano on stage. So, um, yeah, it, it looked like a comedy club. It felt like a comedy club. And that's what I like about the Comedy Cellar. You know, it's like this little basement. And yeah. uh, even though the, the crowd is more side to side than in front of you it's a wider room than it is deep um it's still it's a when, when that room is hot it there's nothing better than the comedy cellar yeah it's all time yeah it's an intimate sort of vibe like everybody is close together and you have this brick wall and you're so close to the audience it like it's a conversation that like it feels yeah, so close like a dinner party that's a great observation. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, so how did you get started in stand-up comedy? Um, I got started in stand-up comedy. Well, actually, the first stand-up I ever did was in kindergarten. Um, there was a Christmas party, and I guess people were, you know, I guess providing the entertainment. You know, some kids were singing Christmas carols, or Hanukkah carols, or whatever. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if there were Hanukkah cameras, Hanukkah songs. And, um... I had seen Pat Cooper, the comedian Pat Cooper, a legendary comedian on the Ed Sullivan Show. And my parents had one of his albums, used to listen to this one bit that he used to do. It was called The Italian Wedding. It was him recreating what it was like to be at an Italian wedding. And he would have to play all the different parts, you know, and play the band leader, and play guests. And so I imitated it in kindergarten. And, and I made. I did green, one of my classmates yeah. laugh. And so mm-hmm. I knew at that point that comedy was somewhere going to be in my future. And then when I was in high school, I was part of the drama club, you know, and did plays and stuff like that. I was a class clown, I, you know, would, would make jokes yeah. and be funny as a, as a way to get accepted, you know, because I'm a lousy, lousy athlete. And so instead of being chosen, you know, for touch football, you know, I would stand on the sidelines and I would imitate the guys playing football to make them all laugh. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I kind of got over and I used that skill later on in college. And then, because I always wanted to go into acting. Yeah. And when I started, a lot of the stand-up comedians were segueing right into acting. Like mm-hmm. uh, Steve Martin and Robert Williams, all these guys who were originally stand-ups were getting these TV and movie deals. And there was a club that just opened in a town, in, in the town that I uh, was living in when I was at home. I was 20 years old. It was a club called Richard M. Dixon's White House Inn. And it's because he actually had more resemblance to Richard Nixon. And he had a showcase night on Wednesday nights. And singers and actors and comedians and, and uh, magicians would all go and... and do stage time for free and that's how I started getting up on stage and doing it you know on a regular basis I did it for a while and then I hooked up with some guys who were um, you know also starting at the same time because we liked each other we were you know we made fast friends um, comedian by the name of Bob Nelson who oh, um, yeah. I know that you're aware of because you just um very generously took part in a fundraiser yeah. on, online with him and you killed by the way okay. I'm sure you know yeah. that you killed but I mean everyone has been emailing me and, and calling me saying where did you find this Dustin Pichel this kid's amazing oh, yeah in fact, they, want, they want to have you on um, Mark and Richie uh, they have a podcast called 
uh, drinks, drugs, and storytelling, they would have you on as a guest and interview you on their show. Uh, yeah. Because they were so impressed by you. Yeah. I thought that... Your, your, oh. you know, the, the material you did, so... Yeah, I thought John Pova... I know John Pova Omo. I had him on my podcast back, like, like five, six months ago. He was one of my early guests, and I know... I'm he, sorry, I, uh, you're breaking up. Oh, yeah, that's actually... Yeah, so, can you hear me now? Dustin, you're freezing up, brother. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Go ahead. Should I get Yeah, okay. so... I had, um... Wait, you can hear me now. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, I had John Povolomo on my podcast a few months back. John when, yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't know that other people also did drinks, jokes, and storytelling until recently. Yeah, so they, uh... So they, yeah, so so Mark and Richie definitely want to have you back on. So yeah, um, and and the other guy who we befriended was Eddie Murphy, yeah. and we became the identical triplets. It was Bob and myself and Eddie, and uh, we used to do shows together. We would each do little bits of our separate acts, and then we would do some improv together. The three of us sketches and whatnot. So that you know, just a little bit more than just a regular stand up act. It was a con- you know, it was a contained act because you had your three comics, you know, you had an opener, a middle and a headline, and we would always shift the order. And uh, no matter what happened at the end we would do these sketches or we do sketches in between our acts depending on the audience. Eddie Murphy And that's how I got Yeah. Eddie Murphy is like a genius, like like hilarious. He um from the moment I saw him on stage for the first time, which was when he was 17, I guess, I, I knew he was going to be big. He just had that confidence. He had that aura. Uh, he had, you know, it was amazing on stage, his presence, you know, his material initially wasn't the greatest, but none of our material was the greatest at the beginning. No one knew what they were doing, you know, and, um, but eventually he started, gravitating towards the things that he did the best, which was basically characters and voices and telling stories. And uh, Saturday Night Live, when they saw him, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. Yeah, that's so cool. Do you still work with Eddie Murphy? Um, I've worked a couple times since uh, he's hit it big. I did two pilots for his production company out west. Um, I haven't seen him in a while, but, um, you know, Every time I see him, it's like we just saw each other the night before, so. Yeah. You know, he, when you have a good friend, that's what happens. Yeah, he's really, like, cool. Like, um, I mean, I remember when my dad, way back, like, a, like when I was just, uh, when I was first, like, I wasn't really writing jokes at that time. It was two years ago. I started writing jokes a year ago and started, like, really, like, started developing my point of view a year ago. Well, I started, mm-hmm. I developed my point of view when I f- saw it first started, so... Mm-hmm. Um, what I, like, I remember, like, a year before that, I didn't do stand-up comedy, and my dad, but I still wanted to become one, I just didn't know how to, and my dad was like, oh, you should watch these guys, George Carlin, Eddie Murphy, Sam Kennison, I was like, ah, I don't know who they are, and then, like, when I watched them, I was like, whoa, like, it was just so, they were so hilarious, 
I mean, Richard Pryor, all of those guys, they were magnificent. That was, that was good advice from your dad, and that was a good selection of comics for you to watch, because those are among the top ten guys that I would recommend for you to watch, you know? Yeah. Um, very, very, very astute, you know? And you learn from watching, you know? You learn, it's like great writers become great great writers by reading just reading 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 great comedians become comedians because they're influenced by other comedians i mean robin williams was very very influenced by jonathan winters who i was very influenced by uh, as well you know the different voices the different characters etc etc um you know every but johnny carson was inspired by jack benny you know everyone has somebody who got them you know, getting the spark, kind of. And then you learn from everybody. You learn stuff from George Carlin. You know, I've learned from George Carlin. I've learned from Richard Pryor. I've learned from Pat Cooper. I've learned from, you know, all these guys. Because when you're a comedian, as with any performing art, I believe, the more that you expose yourself to, the better you can be. Because your frame of reference just expands. Which is why when everyone ever asks me about, you know, going into acting as a career or stand-up as a career, I always recommend that they also go to school and graduate with a degree in something because the more educated they are, the better they can be because the more they know. And as a comedian, your job is basically to comment on the world around you. Best way to do that is to know as much about the world around you as you can. Yeah. You know, so. I want to go, I want to major in TV writing so I can write mm-hmm. for like some TV shows and Good. do some stuff like that. And then along the way, um, I can also, yeah, I can have um, jobs in that, but um, yeah, that'd be, I would, yeah, I'm going to do that. But I also want to study some philosophy to become like, like not take a major in it because I don't want to go to school for an extra four years. I don't want to do eight years. Um, right. Yeah, so I'll just self you can take take intro to philosophy classes you know if you go to a a liberal arts school you can do that i'm sure you know you don't need to major in it to know you know to learn something about it you know because i want to be like sort of like of the next generation i sort of want to be like the next george carlin or richard Pryor. well that's good because there's a need for one there certainly isn't one out there now um (laughs) i find that comedy has changed dramatically The same way that comedy changed dramatically from when the guys who worked the Catskills, you know, before people like me started, that changed, you know. I mean, Robert Klein at the Improv kind of spearheaded this idea of observational comedy, which wasn't really something that existed prior to the 60s. You know, you had guys like Henny Youngman and, you know, all these other, Jack Benny and they were just writing jokes. It was joke, 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 joke. Some of them had personas, like Jack Benny's persona was that of a skin flint of a really stingy guy. And so a lot of his jokes had to do with that. But for the most part, it was joke, 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 joke. Robert Klein was the one who kind of said, you know, um, did you ever notice? Did you ever notice? Did you ever notice? And that kind of thing. It was just how Seinfeld and guys like that were able to pick up the mental and go forward. Then all of a sudden, it was like all this observation stuff going on and that opened it up tremendously now i see there's another wave and the wave it's still kind of observational but the personas are very different um the points of view are very much the same though which is something that i find very unique and unusual i'll be in the car listening to the xm comedy channels 
and I'll be driving for an hour before I realized I've literally heard 30 comics and didn't realize any of them was any different. I thought it was basically one guy because the material all seemed to be exactly the same. The point of view was exactly the same. The, the, the delivery seemed to be exactly the same. And so whatever that is, it's certainly not the kind of comedy that I grew up watching or developing or doing myself. What? So I think there's a real need for a guy of your age to come up as an observationalist and comment on life as you see it through your eyes because I don't really see it that much now. Yeah, well, I sort of, like, want to do, like, sort of George Carlin style. I want to be sort of, like, I want to sort of, like, be sort of like a, like, philosopher like he mm -hmm. was. But what yeah. I want to do is I also, I want to do it more anchor style. Um, I, you can still do philosophy through that way. Mm -hmm. But that's how I want to teach my lessons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I mean, because that also makes it more personal. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you're you're dealing in anecdotes, then then it's coming from a point that's within you, and that's always where the best stuff comes. The best stuff comes from the stuff that you're pulling out of you because it's got you all over it. You know what I mean? And that's what makes you unique, and that's what you're most confident in. And your point of view is specific to you, but you'll find. Uh, is one of the lessons I learned in acting class that when you're doing things that are very, very, very specific, it makes them more universal. It's a very, very strange situation in nature. But like if you're a guy who um, is talking about problems at your job and your job is, you know, you, you work in a nuclear plant, whatever, well, you don't have to be working at a nuclear plant to know that basically the same problems that you have in your job as an auto mechanic or a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor, everyone has the same kind of experiences at work. But the more specific you make it to you, the more everyone around you can see themselves in it. And that's one of the ways you make people laugh is for people to identify with what you're saying and for people to say, oh yeah, I've seen that or I do that or yeah, my aunt is exactly like that. You know, yeah. that, that's, that's what makes people laugh is that recognition that people, you know, get that makes you laugh. Thank you for that advice. Um, one of the things, like, that it, um, there are, like, uh, some things that make people laugh. Absurdity, surprise, um, recognition, like you said, relatability, um, irony, things like that are, like, mm -hmm. also, like, the rule of three. But something I think is, um, the, like, the, like, the formulas to make people laugh don't change. Well, I think change are the subjects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think change the subjects. Uh, I think the formulas are pretty essentially the same because the formulas are all have to do with storytelling, and the fundamentals of story have been around since the caveman days. And the, the way that human beings react to story has been the same for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Um, there is a the whole book about you know the hero's journey it's a guy by the name of joseph campbell a philosopher who wrote about how um the elements of story have pretty much been the same since ancient times and he uses star wars as an example of storytelling and how it fits this paradigm of, of the hero's journey and you know you can apply it to stuff in the bible you know it makes the same yeah. same kind of arc you know and so um when when you're um, when when you're doing your version of it, you're adding your perspective and your observation to it. And one of the things that you're going to notice as you develop, as you grow, 
as a human being, you know, and eventually you become, you know, instead of a 13-year-old comic, mm-hmm. you'll be a 23-year-old comic. Your perspectives will have changed, and you will grow. You'll mature. Your material will grow with you because it's coming from you, and so it will still be very, very natural, but at its very core, it's exactly what you're doing right now. you just commenting on the world through your eyes and your experience and your perspective. Yeah. There are things that you haven't experienced that you can't really apply to what you're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Like when you're um, when, when you do your bit about need to go to the bathroom and your mom yeah. takes you to a strip club. Um, you know, uh, that, I mean, first of all, that's just a great Thank you. That means such so a great much. routine. Yeah. If I didn't like you, I would totally steal it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so great. And you can continue to tell that story with a different perspective. You're telling it now as though it pretty much happened yesterday. Yeah. As you get older, as you tell the story, it now becomes more of a memory. And now you recall what it was like. And now you can add your observations as a teenager or an adult to what happened. Like, you know, when you're 18, you'll have a different perspective than you do now. If you're 23, you'll have a different perspective than you do now or when you were 18. So that bit can actually grow along with you. You'll find as you experience more in life, there are more and more things you can pull to use them to show, um, to, to kind of illustrate and enhance the story. You know, it just becomes bigger and bigger, you know, yeah. and, and it grows with you. Something, like, I sort of find is sort of, like, I sort of, like, I'm sort of old-fashioned. My, um, like, my point of view is, like, even just, like, in general, I'm old-fashioned. I don't play video games. I listen to the Beatles. Um, you see, I knew I liked you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I listen to, like, the song, um, Staying Alive. I'm not big in music nowadays. So, I'm... Um, so, oh, sorry, I was just texting my dad, because for some reason, um, I'm, my, I'm charging my iPad, which I'm doing it on, but it's charging, but it's dying for some reason. I don't know why. So, yeah, that was weird. So, so, wait, where was I? Um, yeah, so I'm, yeah, that's basically, I'm a grumpy, old-fashioned man that, like, but I still have, at the same time, I maintain a high energy, unlike other. Right. right. I mean, I would say that you're an old soul for sure. Yeah. You're you, the way you look at things is a lot deeper than a guy your age. I would say. I don't think guys your age really look at things as in depth as you do, which is also a sign of a great community. Thank is you. that you can look at something and dig deep into it to mine the material for your for your bit because you have the eye you have the sensibility to look for it and then when you see it and you react to it that's how you create what you're doing you know so I, I would say that that's definitely one of the things you got going for you you know you also have a work ethic which is not like you know you would find normally with someone your age you know work ethics uh, usually come with, with age and experience you work really hard so it's clear it's obvious to me that you're putting in the time yeah. and the effort to make what you do as good as you can be. You know, you're, you're doing your research, you're, you're doing your your writing exercises, you're you're working at it all the time. You know, yeah. and that's also one of the things you got going for you is because you know comedians we can be lazy. You know, yeah. I, I didn't write new material for years and years and years because I was able to skate by with the stuff I was doing. You know, um, uh, do you want to know? So, 
why I, well, I try to make a habit to write jokes each day, the Seinfeld rule. Um, okay. One of the reasons I write material so much is because um, I was watching this video by Judd Apatow, and he was okay. talking, and I, like, I'm a big fan of him, and he was talking about, like, all these comedians, like, they, uh, most comedians are lazy. They wake up at, like, they wake up at one in the afternoon. They they might have a gig that day, but they go to the mall. They go to the movies. They go out to eat, but they don't write jokes. Sometimes they go weeks on end without writing jokes. Maybe they might think a line one once a day, but no. Sit your ass down each day and write jokes and try to write routines each hour. Um, who's the guy that um suggested him that? Uh, it was the guy um he was sort of he started with L and he did some. He did, the guy, um, Judd Apatow got it from another guy, though, um, who did, I think, had his own TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, Seinfeld, he, when I was working with Seinfeld on, on the road, we were at the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale, and every day, every single day we were there, you know, we'd go to the beach or the movies or the mall, like he was saying, and he'd, he'd stay in the condo and he would spend the time writing jokes for two, three hours at a time. Um... Judd Apatow has got a great book. I don't know if you've oh, read it. Oh, I have. Okay, yeah. The only reason I bring it up is because he mentions me in it. That's why. Oh, You're he right does? The window. At the very beginning, he talks about because he was the dishwasher at the East Side Comedy Club, which oh, is one of the first clubs that I worked at when I was a comic. And so he, he mentions Bob Nelson and I, actually. And it's funny because I bumped into Judd um, a couple of years ago when I was doing How to Succeed in Business on Broadway yeah. uh, Bo Bridges who was playing uh, the boss of the company in, in that musical um, brought us a couple of us to the the party at the New York Film Festival I guess he had something entered in it or whatever so we all got to go to the New York Film Festival yeah. and bumped into Judd and Judd said Bartlett the last time I yeah. saw you Nelson and you were on stage killing it and it was so funny that they just you know his, his first you know memory on seeing me was when, when Bob and I used to do stuff together at the east side you know um, and that's that's what he mentions in the book which was kind of cool yeah um, it's like it's so cool like being in like I this is completely like um I, I'm going into eighth grade now um I started like becoming an actual comedian in seventh grade so um it's sort of crazy now how like just in this short year like how I know so many like I know celebrities now like Tom Rhodes Dana Gould I know Bill Grundfest and it's just crazy it's like how it's sort of like so much has changed in the year, and it's so cool being part of the business. Well, I, I don't know as I would classify any of those three guys as actual celebrities. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, talking to me, obviously, Dustin, you're talking <laughs> to a celebrity, but I would say, <laughs> no, um, yeah, but, and you know, it, it's, I can't believe you've been doing it for only a year. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of amazed um, at... At, at what you've pulled together in a year. I mean, it, not just your material, but, you know, uh, your your persona. You know, you have a very likable persona. You, you. you And you enjoy it. You can see in your performance that you enjoy it. It's nothing worse than watching somebody just going through the material route, like they don't care about it. You can tell when you're doing your stuff that you really are enjoying it because you, you know what's funny, and it, it still makes you laugh, even though it all happened to you. Um, 
And like I told you, you, you can expand on it. It doesn't always have to be all true. You can add things to it to make it better. There's no lie detector test in comedy. Whatever's going to get you a laugh is going to get you a laugh, you know? I think um, the more you do it, the more you get time on stage and whatnot, I think your delivery is really going to shape up. I think, you know, um, what you need to work on now is actually finding the way to um, contain some of the energy in a way so that you're not having such a good time that it's hard to get out what you're saying. Okay, yeah. you know what I mean? All that stuff. I mean, the more you do on stage, I think, the more that that's going to naturally come. It just comes from experience, doesn't it? I mean, when I, thank God, I don't have it anymore. I used to have a tape one of the first times I was ever on stage, and if I were to listen to it now, I'd quit. <laughs> I, you know, because I, I couldn't believe how awful I was. You know, um, but that's only something that experience will do for you. And you just, if you keep doing it and you don't give up and you keep, you know, you keep hammering at it, um, there's no doubt in my mind that you're, I'm going to, you know, be hearing about you, um, you know, when you're, when you're an adult. And say, you. I knew him. I knew him when he wanted yeah. me on a show. Now I can't even get him to return a phone call. You'll be the celebrity. I'll be interviewing you. Thank you so much. That means so much. Especially from you. I mean, you've won two Emmys. Yeah, well, there weren't, like, real big Emmys. I'll just say that. There were, you know, local TV Emmys, but they're still Emmys. Yeah. I mean, they're, not, they're, they're not, like, you know, like, I wasn't on the special on television. Yeah. You know, nobody saw me get them. Um, and, and that's... Awards are nice, you know. Um, but I know a lot of people who deserve awards who've never gotten one. You know what I mean? They're they're almost kind of self serving in a way. Don't get me wrong. I, I love winning them. You know, I I got a drama desk award for a play that I did off Broadway, and you know, I think everybody else in the play was as good as me. But you know, I got the Emmy. So I, I mean, I got the drama desk award. So you know, of course, I wanted me to win. It's only going to be one. I wanted it. It's just that it's an ego thing. But yeah. you win your share of awards. Yeah. Trust me. It's in the cars for you. You keep doing what you're doing now. You keep working hard at it. You keep, you know, you keep doing your material. You keep getting on stage every chance that you can get, you know. Yeah. You're also very fortunate to have parents who yeah. support you. Yeah. You know, that who are, who are behind you, who are, you know, like, like your dad giving you, you know, a list of comics you should watch and yeah. learn from. I mean, that's very important. Yeah. Having support. You know, whether it's your parents, or whether it's your girlfriend, or whether it's your wife, or, you know, a brother or a friend, well, you need support. You need someone to say, yeah, you can do it, you know, and, and you're very fortunate to have that. So, don't let them down. Yeah. Well, I don't think I'm going to be getting a girlfriend anytime soon. I'm not that successful. I'm well, and just leave <laughs> yourself open to it. You never know. Yeah. You know, but also don't listen to everything she says because she might not really know as much you know about it as you do oh so i meant that as don't make her uh, as joking around because like i'm I, it's sort of weird like how kids in my grade get girlfriends and i'm like why doesn't anyone want to date me i and it just makes me so angry you just you yeah. just let it happen you know it'll happen trust me there's a girl out there you might even there might be a girl right now you don't know about there might be a girl right now who you know thinks wow dustin he's so funny he's so cute oh but he doesn't want to talk to me he'll never want to talk to me you don't know somebody could be out there you know and you know you're going into eighth grade you know there's a whole new group of kids and then eventually you know you're not high school yet right high school be 
Um, that's ninth grade. Year after, right? Yeah. Right. So ninth grade, you'd be going to high school. Then high school, it's going to all of a sudden that's going to open up. You know, I didn't get a girlfriend until I was almost in eleventh grade, Dustin. So don't worry about us. Yeah. Um, it'll happen. When it's meant to happen, it'll happen. Now you just focus on doing your stand up, yeah. and uh, the funnier you get, the more opportunities you're going to have to have a girlfriend. Yeah. Girls like a guy with a sense of humor. You see, or whenever they interview women about you know what do you look for in a man they always say somebody who makes me laugh it's always you know they always want that they always want somebody who makes them laugh so you'll be set don't worry about it yeah it'll happen um yeah i mean yeah george carlin had many um checks on him <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so uh so yeah um you were Okay, so you do a lot of impressions, like really good impressions. So if like you wouldn't mind, could you do an impression for us of your choice? Oh man, I wouldn't even know who to start with. I mean, oh, do you not want to do it. What's that? Oh, do you not want to do it? It's up to you. No, 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 no. I, I like to do one. I'm just trying to figure out one. Have you seen any of the ones that I do? Are there any ones that you um, like? I think you did a Doctor Phil one. Oh yeah, Doctor Phil. Doctor Phil one. Yeah, um, uh, all right, um, Dustin, I'm gonna tell you this now, real world. <laughs> you, you need to follow your own heart. <laughs> you need to do what you need to do to be who you want to be. I wouldn't worry at all about girlfriend or mm. wife or anything like that because, bottom line, real world, Dustin, they're <laughs> a pain in the neck. Women are a pain in the neck, and they'll keep you from being successful. I don't care what anyone says. My wife is... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, honey, I'll be right there. I gotta go. Yeah. Um, um, do you know who Jeff Richards is? Mm, I've heard the name, but I'm not... Yeah, so he's this... Um, uh, yeah, I think he does stand-up comedy as well. Um, and he was on SNL, so, um, and he has this podcast where um he's supposed to do the interviews like it's set up that way but instead like um they have he does an impression of a celebrity who like is the guest host and like he had dr phil on um and he was interviewing um there was this snl guy alumni um i forget his name um i have it open right here the jeff richards show he was interviewing John Lovitz, and then, like, John, and then they did, like, in the skit, John Lovitz, Lovitz was 20 minutes late, and Dr. Phil was just yelling at him, he was swearing at him, and then he, he was like, he was like, F you, John Lovitz, and then he'd be like, I'm sorry, and, like, it just <laughs> went all over the place, it was hilarious. That's actually a great idea, yeah. just to do an interview with somebody else, that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Have you ever seen Dr. Phil? Some of the kids on there are just like wackos. I know, I know. It's the, he, he doesn't deal with a lot of normal human beings. Yeah. Dustin. I think that's his stock and trade. I think if he actually interviewed normal people, nobody would want to watch him because it'd be too boring. Yeah, well, I think that I hear the thing is that a lot of the people, like, there was this girl that's been on it, like, and she, like, got famous off of it. So, like, everyone now, so apparently there's this wave of people that are, like, that, like, make, that, like, pretend, like, that create these fake personas and try to act like these crazy people, even though they're not, they just want to get famous off of it. And I think, mm -hmm. like, Dr. Phil doesn't, like, 
I don't mean to bash him, but, you know, you have to get the maidens and, you know, <laughs> and a lot of times other people come forward who are related to the person and be like, they're actually not like that. It was like, a, it was sort of like to get social media attention. They're a wacko, mm-hmm. but they're not actually like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, people do crazy things to get famous. Sometimes people don't do anything to get famous. Yeah. I mean, Kim Kardashian, what does she ever do to get famous? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I remember once, I, I saw this interview once, where, where she was like, what are you doing? How, like, and she was like, oh, I woke up at 5.45. It's like, shut up. No, you didn't. You woke up at, like, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, like stop pretending. And, like, she's like, oh, look at my minimalist house. It's like, like, shut up. You're not as good as you think you are. You're not this, like, you, you're not saving lives. You're just showing your ass online. Um, is, is that from your act? Um, no, I just made, I just ad-libbed that. Okay, well now you got something else you got to work on. That's a, that'll be a great bit for your act. Why is Kim Kardashian famous? Yeah. You know, I think that's a, that's a, and, you, and your perspective already. No, you didn't get up at five fifteen. That's all great stuff. That's all great stuff because that's your perspective and what you're observing. And I think what, why it works so well is because it's not a perspective people expect from a guy like you. They don't expect a thirteen year old to have such a sharp, mature you know, yeah. take on things, yeah. you know, and no, you didn't, I mean, that, that made me laugh, just the, yeah. the way you did that, so, yeah. uh, I, I, want, I want, I want to see another 10 minutes on that, I want to see okay. you do 10 minutes on Kardashian, yeah, uh, I'm giving you an assignment, uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> I do love, um, like, like, a lot of comedians, I hear some comedians, like, sometimes writing can be boring, but, like, sometimes I go to bed and I have this, like, joke idea that I know is good. Mm-mm. You wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I can write a whole one-minute, two-minute joke in just, like, an hour off of this. Oh, that's the best. That's what you should do. And, and you, you should always keep a pad mm-hmm. and, a, and a piece of, you know, and a pencil or a writing it with you. Or um, if you can do it on your phone, yeah. you know, if there's a memo thing on your phone. The minute you get these ideas, you need to jot them down. Yeah. Because unfortunately, and this has happened to me a thousand times, I've gotten these brilliant ideas, and if I don't write them down, I'm not going to remember them, and they're gone. Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll think of it again. But the idea is to get it down, so that way you don't forget it. And if you have a notebook, it helps, because if you have writer's block sometimes, you know, and that's something that every writer experiences, where, you know, you're looking at a blank page, and and it's terrifying, because you need to fill it, and you've got no ideas. If you keep a notebook ideas or or a, like a, a box with a bunch of scraps of paper in it or, or index cards and each one's got an idea on it all those things you look through them it might not be exactly what you're looking for but it might trigger something else in your head that you can use it's just something that you know that sometimes you just need to kickstart the brain you know and that's a great way of doing it yeah i have my i filled out one notebook um, and then I have my other notebook, which I'm about maybe one third through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but keep like a little memo pad or something yeah. in your pocket because if you don't have the notebook with you, you know, like you're walking around the mall and all of a sudden you get this idea, you know, if you have the little notepad, you can write it down or you can just mm-hmm. type it in your in your phone, you know, um, and then come back and then transcribe it into your notebook, you know, and that also helps it because it makes you remember it even more because now you have to write it into the book. Yeah, so, 
Yeah, thank you so very much for being a guest on my podcast. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience having you on. It was an honor and joy. And before we go, is there any social media you would like to share? Um, yeah, what? people can uh, see me. I mean, on Twitter, I'm at the Robbio, T H E R O B I O. On Instagram, I'm Robbio 007. Um, or I think uh, Robbio Radio Comedy Hour on Instagram. There's just two on Instagram. Um, and I have a, a, a podcast myself, which unfortunately I haven't done one in many months. Um, it's the Rob Bartlett Radio Comedy Hour, which is started out as basically my idea of doing a radio version of Saturday Night Live yeah. combined with the old time radio programs like Jack Benny and those where they would stand in front of microphones with scripts and we had a whole cast. And then, you know, as fate would have it, we went from having a live audience to doing it in a studio at a radio station mm-hmm. to now I do it all by myself from like my kitchen. I do all the voices and all, all the production now and all by myself. Um, which is one of the reasons why I haven't done it in a really long time because I've been too lazy to do it. But it's the Rap Parker Radio Comedy Hour and that's on, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and all those, you know. Wherever you got this fine podcast, ladies and gentlemen, um, kind of... I've subscribed to you. I don't know if you know that. I subscribed to your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because, you know, we got to help each other out, man. Yeah. We're comedians. I, yeah. You, know, you got to be nice. You got to be nice to the people on the way up because you may get a chance to open for them on the way down. So yeah. I'm hoping, uh, you know, as we pass, that I'm going to be able to open for you someday. Oh, thank so, you so uh, much. I'm looking forward to that. Okay. So thank <laughs> you. Keep doing what you're doing, man. It's yeah. good stuff. Thank you.